Hello, hello. How is everyone doing? Great, I hope, on this hot summer day. Okay, we have a ton to cover today. As you can tell from the title and the description, we are talking about the end times. Now, it is absolutely insane for anyone to try to cover the end times in a 30 to 40 minute episode, but we're kind of crazy around here. So that's what we're going to try to do. I always give this caveat. There is not any possible way for us to cover everything about eschatology, everything about the end times in this uh, in this frame that we have. There's just not a way for us to do that. And so I'm going to try to give you all of the information that I possibly can without holding you here for like six hours, because that's at least how long it would take to cover all of the prophecy and all of the theological intricacies about the end times, because the fact of the matter is this is a very complicated subject, but I'm going to go through at least the basic points on uh, what a Christian belief is uh, on the end times and what the varying viewpoints between Bible-believing Christians are. And then I will also reveal to you what I think. I've gotten a lot of messages asking me, are you a premillennialist, postmillennialist, pre-trib, post-trib, all this stuff. I will tell you exactly what I believe based on scripture at the end of this. And you might disagree with me and that's perfectly fine. And a lot of you listening might not have any idea whatsoever about what the Bible says about the end times. And I want you to know that that is totally okay. You are in the right place. And some of you who have been studying this for a long time, you probably know a lot more than I do. And there might be some things that you correct me on, or you think that I should add. Always feel free to email me, Allie at the conservative millennial blog.com. I love listening or I love hearing from you guys. I get uh, emails from pastors and from seminary students or from seminary grads all of the time, um, both giving me encouragement and support and also saying, here's another way to look at this, or here's something that you could add to this. I love those kinds of emails. Um, and always, as always, if there's something that I say theologically that you don't agree with or that you think is wrong, I always uh, want and appreciate and actually uh, demand, I don't want to say that, but kind of necessitate, I guess, uh, a scriptural basis for your disagreement, because I think that it's uh, only productive if we can say we go back to the infallible word of God for our source of wisdom and truth. I don't really care what my opinion is or your opinion. I care about what the Bible says. The fact of the matter is, is we're going to see in this particular podcast episode is that uh, even with the Bible as our ultimate source of truth, even as people who all believe that the Bible is the inerrant word of God is sufficient for truth, is sufficient for wisdom, is sufficient for instruction and reproof and all that good stuff, there are disagreements, honest disagreements. These are not uh, disagreements on salvation. This is not disagreements on the gospel. This is not disagreements on the Trinity, on the person of Jesus Christ. Uh, these are secondary and sometimes even considered tertiary disagreements that don't mean that if we don't agree that one of us isn't saved and the other one is, it might affect how we look at the Bible and how we live our lives, but it doesn't affect our place uh, as a son or daughter of God as a chosen one of God. So I just want to get that out there. There's no need for us to hate each other at the end of this episode. If we end up disagreeing, we can all come together and have a wonderful, vibrant conversation about all of this stuff. Now, to be honest, this isn't something that I had studied very much because I kind of thought, okay, you know, this doesn't really affect me that much. I'm going to obey what the Bible says, or I'm going to try to obey what the Bible says, regardless of you know, when the rapture is going to happen, what the rapture is, tribulation, the antichrist, et cetera. So what's really the point of kind of 
confusing myself with all of this stuff. There's so many disagreements and different directions that we could go, like we've already said, uh, between Bible-believing Christians on what's going to happen. People who are smarter than me have figured all of this stuff out or have at least debated this stuff from a confident position. So maybe it's not something that I need to worry about. But um, as I studied this more, as I started getting uh, more and more questions about it and, and listening and learning, and of course, this is something that I've thought about before and that I have read about before. I've read Revelation, Thessalonians. I've read, you know, Daniel. I've learned about these prophecies, but it hadn't been something that I had invested a whole lot of time into personally. It had been more of like a passive thing. And I hadn't really taken the time to say, okay, what do I believe based on what the Bible says? And my perspective on why I should care about this shifted the more that I studied for myself. Um, I realized that the understanding that we have uh, of what's going to happen or what we think, at least based on scripture, is is going to happen, increases anticipation for Christ's return, which is important. Uh, that in turn increases our urgency to make disciples, which is a command. Uh, it also renews, I've realized, our pursuit of holiness. It inspires a godly fear of what's to come uh, by reminding us that eternity is at stake in all that we say and do. Uh, it also offers offers us comfort and confidence as we remember that God is a God of justice, that he is not idle in the face of evil, uh, that his recompense is on its way, and that in the end, Jesus and his people will prevail. So that is why it is important to study the end times and to have a grasp on what the Bible says is going to happen at the end of time. So let me list those reasons again in a more itemized way uh, for why we study this stuff, what is known as eschatology. It encourages anticipation, urgency, holiness or obedience, godly fear, comfort, and confidence. Anticipation, urgency, holiness, godly fear, comfort, and confidence, all things that the Bible tells us to have. So that's why it is important for us to study this. Um, eschatology, as we've already said, is difficult to discuss because it's really complex. Like I'm not going to, I'm not going to say that it's not, I'm not going to say, Oh, come on. All you got to do is read the stuff. It's just right there. There are some things that are simpler uh, to understand within Christianity. Eschatology, I don't, at least to me, it is not one of those things. It is contested as we've already said. And it's probably one of the more befuddling aspects uh, of theology from a non-Christian perspective. So it's very, we don't talk about it as much because we know it's not something that we're going to use as often in a gospel sharing conversation or in a conversation with someone who is not a Christian. Non-Christians, of course, mock Christians' view of the end of time if they even are familiar with it. Um, and mostly because many of them believe that the world is going to end in 12 years because of climate change. So just kidding. Um, okay, so here's what Second Peter 3, 1 through 13 has to say about this. Uh, in the interest of time, I'm going to take some chunks out of this because reading the whole thing is going to take a, a lot and we don't have all the time, but it's second Peter three, one through 13. If you want to read it, uh, in its entirety on your own, uh, this is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? 
But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. Uh, But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as is as a thousand years and a thousand years is as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that anyone should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed." Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for the new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So really in that passage, we see all of the reasons to study the end times that we originally cited, anticipation, urgency, holiness, God fear, comfort, and confidence. Um, Colossians 1.27 uh, also says that Jesus is our hope of glory, which is, again, that confidence piece that we were discussing. Titus 2 also says, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so it seems that the coming of Jesus is an extremely important aspect of our theology, that it's not just an accessory, as I for a long time believed, but that is actually important. It's very important. It is our hope. I think most of us believe probably that we're going to die before Jesus comes back. Maybe we will, maybe we won't. We don't really know, as we will get into in just a little bit. But the fact of the matter is we should be waiting in anticipation and waiting in with a sense of urgency for Jesus's return and for things to be made right. Uh, so here's what we have to figure out when we are anticipating uh, Jesus's coming or when we're trying to figure out our viewpoint or our uh, point of view on uh I don't know why I said viewpoint and point of view. They're the same thing. I don't know what I was trying to say. Uh, When we're trying to figure out what we believe based on scripture uh, will be the end times and the things leading up to that and the signs that will show us that it's coming or that it's here, all of these things. We have to figure out what the Bible says about the return of Christ, which is when Jesus will come back. This is also can be known as the day of the Lord. Uh, We have to figure out the tribulation. This is a period of great suffering that the Bible says will take place. Um, the Antichrist. We have to figure out what that is. This is a false Messiah in the end times. The rapture. This is the snatching up of Christians by their Lord Jesus. The resurrection of the bodies when the bodies of both believers and unbelievers will unite with their spirits. Uh, We need to know about the millennium or the millennial reign. This is the thousand year reign, either figurative or literal, depending on what you believe of believers reigning with Christ. We need to know about the last judgment when Jesus Christ will judge both the living and the dead. And then we also need to know about the eternal state after Jesus has defeated the enemy once and for all and believers reign with Christ forever. So within and between all of these uh, subjects are, are different 
are different nuances that we're probably not going to get to cover every single nuance of every single different kind of belief about all of these, but we're going to talk about uh, the main differences. And so the differences typically center on the chronology of the events, what happens within these events, whether or not, you know, for example, Christians endure the tribulation or not. Um, and these are differences, as we've said, not between heretics and theologically sound people, um, but between Bible-believing Christians who believe that the Word of God is inerrant and simply come to different conclusions on that. And that's that's okay. That can be okay. Uh, so the questions are, when is all of this going to happen? In what order? How is this going to happen? What do these things really look like? Uh, will Christians experience the trials that the Bible talks about? So let's first talk about each of the points that we just listed um, of an in times of an in times uh, outlook, and let us talk about let's talk about each of them and what the Bible has to say about them. So first, the return of Christ. Uh, this is referred to as the second coming of Jesus. So if you don't know anything um, about the Bible or about Jesus, that's totally fine. I'm going to try to explain this the best I can. Although some of it might still be like, what are you talking about? That's totally fine too. Um, so Jesus came over 2000 years ago to offer himself as a sacrifice for those who believe, uh, thus offering reconciliation between an unholy people. That's both Jews and Gentiles. So human beings and a holy God. Uh, through Jesus's birth, death, and resurrection, he fulfilled prophecies. And his second coming, the Bible says, will also be the fulfillment of prophecy. Uh, this time he will come to conquer sin and death and Satan once and for all. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 5 calls this the day of the Lord. Um, there is, again, some disagreement on that. Titus 2.13 calls this the glorious appearing. What does this glorious appearing look like when Jesus will come back? Uh, Matthew 24.30 says, Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man man and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the son of man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory revelation 1 7 behold he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him even those who pierced him and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him even so amen revelation 19 11 through 16 I, that's John, saw heaven standing open and there before me was a white horse whose rider was called Faithful and True. That's Jesus. With justice he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood and his name is the word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has the name written King of Kings and Lord of Lords. The next question about the return of Christ is when will this happen? So scripture tells us on the one hand that his coming is going to be like a thief in the night. First Thessalonians 5, 2, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Matthew 24, 24, be ready because the son of man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Uh, Jesus also says in Matthew 24 that uh, this is all going to happen, that Jesus is going to come back immediately after the tribulation of those days. Uh, Matthew 24 also tells us about this tribulation and the things that have to happen 
happened before his return, like the wars and the rumors of wars, nations rising against nation, kingdom against kingdom. Every nation has to hear the gospel. Lawlessness is going to increase. The abomination of desolation will occur via the Antichrist, uh, who will make a covenant with Israel for seven years and then betray them. After three and a half years, I believe it is, there will be a great tribulation like no one has ever seen before. And then uh, he will return. Here's what verses 29 through 31 says. Uh, this is Jesus speaking to his disciples. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the son of man and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. We read this part and they will see the son of man coming on the clouds uh, of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect from the four winds and one end of heaven to the other. So there are prophecies that have to be fulfilled before Jesus returns. But Jesus also says, and other parts of the Bible say, that uh, we don't know. We don't know when it's going to happen. Jesus says, but concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the son, but the father only. Uh, there are other passages that we've already read that say basically the same thing. So what we can conclude from this is that though there are tangible signs, according to Matthew 24, there are tangible signs and Daniel 9 uh, that we can see and will recognize as pointing to uh, Jesus's return. Sorry, my voice just cracked. Uh, we don't know exactly how much time will pass between the last sign that is fulfilled and Jesus's return. So we don't know. Ultimately, we don't know the day or the hour. The Bible says that not even the sun knows, not even the angel of angels of heaven knows, which is just kind of mind mind boggling, I think. But the father knows only. So we ultimately are not going to be able to predict the precise day and the hour that Jesus will return. Although the signs that we see happening leading to uh, leading to his return, like increased lawlessness in every nation, knowing the gospel, all of this uh, will create urgency and anticipation knowing that it is coming. Um, okay, so the second thing that we have to discuss is tribulation, which we already discussed was described in Matthew 24 by Jesus. But this is a period of seven years. This is established in Daniel 9 in which people will severely suffer. Uh, now there are disagreements, like I've said, about whether or not Christians are going to actually endure this tribulation or whether or not Jesus is going to take us up before the tribulation. And I'll get to what I believe about that based on scripture soon. And then number three, we have to talk about this Antichrist or this man of lawlessness as the Bible refers to him. So 2 Thessalonians 2, 3 through 4 says, uh, don't let anyone deceive you in any way for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. He will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshiped so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. A, a revelation 13, five through eight says the beast was given a mouth to utter proud words and blasphemies and to exercise his authority for 42 months. He opened his mouth to blaspheme God and to slander his name and his dwelling place and those who live in heaven. He was given power to make war against the saints and to conquer them. And he was given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. All inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast, all whose names have not been written in the book of life belonging to the lamb that was slain from the 
from the creation of the world. Uh, Daniel 7 calls him an imposing, boastful king uh, who will set will try to change the set times and the laws. Uh, this is a leader who establishes the seven-year covenant with Israel and then breaks it. This is from Daniel 9. It is a king who sets up the abomination of desolation uh, that is talked about in Mark 13, 14 and in Daniel 9, 27. He is, as we have already uh, said, the man of lawlessness that Second Thessalonians talks about. Uh, he is also a rider on a white horse, representing his claim to to be a man of peace. He will say that he is bringing peace. That's Revelation six two. Uh, the first beast, the one from the sea in Revelation 13, this beast receives power from the dragon, which is Satan and speaks proud words and blasphemes uh, and wages war against the saints. Uh, thankfully, though, this is what we can be grateful for, the Antichrist along with his false prophet. So those are the those are the two people I was just talking about will be thrown into the lake of fire where they will spend eternity in all of torment. So that's what we know about this Antichrist. Um, the Then we need to know, fourthly, about the rapture, which is the gathering up of believers by Jesus. This comes from 1 Thessalonians 4.17, Matthew 24. Um, 1 Thessalonians says, Then we who are alive, who are left, shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we shall always be with the Lord. Number five, the millennium. That's the 1,000-year reign in which Christians will rule with Christ. Some people believe this is a literal 1,000 years. Some people believe this is a figurative 1,000 years. It really just means like a very long time. Uh, during this time, Satan will be bound. Revelation uh, 22, uh, 22 through 3 says, And he seized the dragon, the ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a 1,000 years and threw him into the pit and shut it and sealed it over him so that he might not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be released for a little while. Uh, then we need to know number six, the last judgment or the final judgment when Jesus Christ will judge the living and the dead. Revelation 20, 11 through 15. And I saw a great white throne and him sitting on it from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away and a place was not found for them. And I saw the dead, the small and the great stand before God and books were opened and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of the things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead in it and death and hell delivered up the dead in them. And each one of them was judged according to their works and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death and if anyone was not found having been written in the book of life he was cast into the lake of fire uh, number five the eternal state this is after jesus has defeated the enemy once and for all and believers reign with christ forever after the final judgment and after the final defeat uh, of satan and unbelievers are are thrown into the lake of fire so here are some terms that describe and i'm sorry if your head is like already throbbing right now revelation is a beast for lack of a better term, or maybe no pun intended. There's so much more that I need to study when it comes to Revelation. Honestly, like I said, that's just not a book that I've spent a whole lot of time in that I need to spend even more time in. And so just trust me that I understand how you're feeling, but let's keep trucking because we're going to get to some kind of point of clarity, I hope. Uh, so here are some terms that are used to describe how uh, different Christians view the end time. So there's amillennial, amillennialist, they're even hard to say, amillennialist, premillennialist, and postmillennialist. Uh, as you probably noticed, the differences in these views depends on what you think of the millennium or of the 1,000-year reign. This comes from that passage, Revelation 24. 
4 through 5, which says that particular uh, believers will come to life and will reign with Christ for a thousand years. So let's talk about let's talk about an amillennialist. An amillennialist believes that this thousand year reign uh, that's described in Revelation twenty is actually happening right now. So it's happening right now in eschatological terms. Right now is called the church age. So amillennialists believe that the thousand years is figurative language uh, to describe the time period and the phrase uh, that and that the phrase reign with Christ. They believe that it's referring to those that are in heaven right now. Um, so they think that it's happening. There's not a future millennium. It's all happening right now. It just happens to be a long period of time that's longer than a thousand years. Uh, the amillennialist believes that Satan's power right now is being held back currently so the gospel can be spread to all of the earth. Uh, They believe that when Christ returns, there's going to be a resurrection of both believers and unbelievers. Uh, At that time, there's going to be a final judgment. Unbelievers will be eternally condemned. Uh, Believers will have the degree of their reward in heaven decreed. Of course, that's what everyone who has any kind of uh, biblical eschatology eschatological uh, beliefs holds, but it's the chronology of this that differs in the amillennialist view. Uh, Very simple view because it has all of the end times events happening at the same time. There's no future millennial happening. It's all happening right now. Um, It's just, like I said, uh, this figure of speech for the period of time that has been happening and will happen uh, until Jesus comes back. And then you have a post-millennialist view, uh, which believes that the church age, so again, this time before Jesus returns, will gradually turn into the millennium. So it will gradually turn into the 1,000-year reign where there will be a uh, larger and larger population of people who are Christians. Uh, they believe that society will become uh, more and more governed by God's law, that they will warm up to God's law. And for a long period of time, not necessarily a thousand years, righteousness and peace will flourish on the earth. And then after that, so church age turns into the millennial reign where the beast is held back where the gospel flourishes, where God's law is just taking off all over the earth. And then they believe Christ will return. Believers and unbelievers will be resurrected. Jesus will judge the world. Then believers will reign with Christ in the eternal state. So post-millennialists are really in general very optimistic about what the gospel is doing right now, how many people are going to become Christians. They're very optimistic about um, implementing God's law here on earth because they believe that that is hastening the coming of the Lord, or at least that that is Uh, that can happen before the coming of the Lord, that righteousness and peace will reign before Jesus comes back. And so they believe that they have a responsibility because of that particular eschatological view uh, to change society to adhere to the law of God now. And then you have a premillennialist view, which is very, uh, which I would say is more the classic traditional view that most believers probably have held throughout history. And uh, now they believe that there is a church age, which is happening uh, right now. Then the tribulation will come. Uh, then Jesus will return after the tribulation, rapturing the believers, including the dead in Christ. And then Jesus and believers will return to the new earth. Uh, there's some disagreement on that part and will reign with Christ for the millennium while Satan is bound and many people come to Christ. And then the final judgment, unbelievers thrown into the lake of fire, Satan defeated, and then Jesus and those who are saved will live together on the new earth for all of eternity. And then you also have pre-tribulational premillennialists, also called dispensational 
di- yes, dispensational premillennialists who say that believers will be raptured before the tribulation and then after the tribulation will return to reign with Christ and the judgment will come and then the eternal state. So here is what I am, given all of that, if you have been following that. I am a post-tribulation premillennialist. So post-trib, pre-mill. So what that means is that I believe I've, it's it's the classic kind of, I would say, traditional belief. And as I was doing all of this research, I made sure not to look at what any teacher I know believes, not to look at uh, what any kind of pastor or writer has talked about. I just wanted to read the scriptures and figure out this stuff for myself. I didn't want to look at the opinions of other people. And so based on scripture, this is what I believe to be the most Um, the most valid argument to be made for what will happen at the end of the age, post-tribulation, pre-millennial. So I believe that Jesus is coming back, will call believers to himself after believers and unbelievers alike have suffered during the tribulation. Then we will reign with him during the millennium while Satan is bound. Many during that reign will come to Christ and the final judgment occurs and we will enjoy the eternal state in Christ. So I don't believe, the biggest thing, I don't believe that uh, Christians are going to avoid tribulation. I think that we are going to endure the tribulation and that those who persevere, um, as the Bible says, will be saved because that will mean that they have always truly been Christians. Uh, To me, Matthew 24 makes this really clear. I just can't, I can't see any biblical evidence, really any solid biblical evidence that we avoid, that Christians get to avoid persecution and avoid tribulation. Uh, Matthew 24 verse 9, they will, uh, then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Verses 21 through 22, for then there will be great tribulation such as not been from the beginning of the world until now know and will never be. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would ever be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Verses 30 through 31, then will appear in heaven the sign of the son of man. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. They will see the son of man coming on the clouds of heaven with great power and glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. Uh, Jesus is talking to his disciples in this chapter. He's talking to Christians. So it seems to me unavoidable according to this passage and other passages, uh, that Christians who are alive will be here during the tribulation uh, and after the tribulation will be resurrected with Christ or will be caught up with Christ and then will reign with Christ while Satan is bound until the final judgment, after which all believers will be uh with and reigning with Christ for all of eternity, sin and death, all abolished, done. Second um, Thessalonians 2.3, Paul warns believers, let no one deceive you in any way for that day will come unless the rebellion comes first, will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction. So why would it be necessary for Paul in this passage to warn believers of this if they weren't going to be present during the tribulation in the first place? Why didn't he just say, well, hey, you're not going to be there, so you don't need to worry about this because the church in Thessalonica was worried about the end times and what all is going to happen. Why didn't he just say, you're not going to endure the tribulation, so don't worry about that? But he didn't. Uh, He didn't say that, and this was a warning, it seems like, to believers. Um, It also seems like martyrdom at the end of the age is something that is going to happen. Uh, Revelation 6, 9 through 11 
talks about this, uh, talks about uh, martyrs and how they are going to shed their blood for the name of Christ. So pre-tribulationists, so people who think that we are going to be raptured before the tribulation, uh, they usually go to Revelation 3.10, which says, because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. Um, I don't know if that actually means a literal removal from the earth. And this, this juxtaposition I actually did get from a teacher that I respect because I had the same question. And so I thought this was interesting and I found it compelling. Um, he says, so in that verse, he said, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the world to try those who dwell on the earth. But if you look at John 17, 15, there's similar language that Jesus uses about his disciples when he's praying. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. So that keep you and keep them language could just be about protection and preserving of their faith rather than a physical removal. So that's why I think Revelation 3.10 doesn't necessarily point to the fact that believers are going to miss out on the tribulation. So here's the deal. Even if we disagree on all of this stuff, or even if we disagree on the chronology of events or what's going to happen when we agree on the big stuff, we agree that we need to be watchful and ready because Jesus is coming back, um, that we are called to persevere no matter what, that we are called to make disciples of all nations no matter what, to live in holiness, to live in obedience to God with a sense of urgency, to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. We are called no matter what, whether you are a premillennialist or postmillennialist, to seek justice, God's justice, uh, to love mercy to walk humbly with God. We are called to do good works. We are called to live with uh, a sense of uh, a sense of confidence, with an assurance of hope, knowing that Jesus will come back, that we will reign forever with him and that Satan will be defeated once and for all. So that's what we can agree on. And uh, like I said, I know I didn't cover everything. There's so much to cover in all of this. And I can't wait to get your emails. For those of you who have been studying this for much longer than I have, where I'm wrong, what I missed, all of that, please feel free to send me an email, alliettheconservativemillennialblog.com. If you love this podcast, please feel free to give me five stars uh, on iTunes. It helps me out a lot. And if you want to subscribe to YouTube, that's great. Of course, you can follow me on social media if you don't do that already. And I will see you guys soon. 